Representative Summer Lee made history in 2022 when she became the first Black woman elected to serve in the U.S. House of Representatives for Pennsylvania. It looks like, it looks like we won an election here. Cheyenne Daniels, race and politics reporter for The Hill. And on this special episode of The Switch Up, we sat down with Representative Summer Lee to talk about her historical election and the movement that she's now helping lead. A graduate of Penn State and Howard University School of Law, Lee has spent much of her career focused on civil rights and social justice organizing, something she's continued since her election to Congress. Since her swearing in, Lee has joined the Congressional Black Caucus, where she co-chairs the Race and Justice Task Force and serves on the executive board of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. The thing to know about Summer Lee is that she might be petite, but she's confident and sure of herself and her power. When she walks into her office for our interview, she's wearing a stylish gray and white two-piece pantsuit, the top cropped at the waist, and a long-sleeved white blouse underneath. Gold necklaces glitter at her neck, accenting her red lipstick. She casually sits in an armchair as she jokes with me and members of her staff. Lee's history of politics dates back to 2017, when she spearheaded a write-in initiative that transformed a local school board after repeated incidents of violence from both police and school administrators against students. Then, in 2018, Lee took on a 20-year incumbent for the State House. Her campaign doubled voter turnout, and she won with over 67% of the vote. She made history that year, too, becoming the first Black woman from Western Pennsylvania ever elected to the state legislature. For Lee, these moments were spurred by the lack of encouragement from the powers that be. I think that I made, when I pulled the trigger to run for the state house, I had already taken the plunge, right? And I think everything since then is just, how can I be most useful to this movement? How can I be most useful to this moment? And, you know, where do I need to be to do that, right? So I think that just now when I think about just, and, and you hear it a lot, we talk about a lot, like the urgency of this moment. When I think about the lack of representation for black women, for marginalized folks, for black folks in general, and brown folks, uh, for poor folks, and people who have all those identities at once, um, I think that that is the reason why we see our government stalling. I think it's the reason why we see just, I would say, so much of this kind of wait, be patient, you know, next time we'll do this. 
And I think it's because so many people just don't have the urgency because they're not as connected to it. It's not their community that's harmed. It's not their family that they have to worry about. It's not their student loan debt. It's not right. It's not their bodies, you know, that they that they have to be concerned about. It's not their kids, and sometimes it is their kids in, in the school, right? It's not them, and folks are not moving uh, with an urgency that I think the majority of Americans need and are requiring us to move. So I think that. In order for us to kind of instill that sort of urgency, we need people who are going to come here and say, look, I don't care about the institution. I'm not here uh, to make nice with folks. I'm not here for upholding traditions. I'm not here to make people comfortable. But we are here with laser focus that we need to change the way that this institution exists. We need to change the way that people exist within it. And that is the only way that we are going to actually you know, affect the type of change that this moment calls for. Lee was highly aware of what her campaign and subsequent election would mean for thousands across the nation and our democracy as a whole. But she also knew it wasn't the end-all be-all. The 118th Congress is the most diverse in history. A record 62 Black lawmakers make up around 11% of members. But there have only been 11 Black senators in U.S. history, and only two have been women, including Kamala Harris who now serves as our nation's first Black female vice president. Today, only three of Congress's Black members serve in the upper chamber, Senator Cory Booker, Senator Raphael Warnock, and Senator Tim Scott. There is no sitting Black female senator, though Democrats Val Demings of Florida and Sherry Beasley in North Carolina tried to change that in 2022. On top of that, with Stacey Abrams and Deidre DeGere's failed gubernatorial bids, the nation still hasn't seen a Black female governor in any state. This race was another step for us. It wasn't a giant step like we wanted it to be, but it was a step. Um, for the second time, I became the first African-American to run statewide for an office in the state. It happened when uh, I ran for Secretary of State in 2018. That doesn't happen without progress being at our side. Yeah, I mean, I knew that we had never had a black woman in Pennsylvania. I, I knew that, um, I know that we still have states that don't, that, that, that still hasn't. Um, honestly, I don't think that, I think that we are in such a strange moment where even that sort of accomplishment or breaking that sort of barrier is drowned out because there are so many other issues and problems that we are having to address all at once. And I think that it is a good thing for Pennsylvania. I think that what we really, I think the, the better message, and that's all oh, great, rah, rah, we got our first black woman, but I think the reflection should have been what took us so long to get here and what is keeping us from catching up, right, and having a more reflective democracy. So I feel like I've just been focusing on that because the reality is, is that it's great that I was able to get here. I had resources and help uh, that most people will not have, that most working class candidates will never see that most black women will never see if they decide to run even for local office. So in one sense, right, it, it, it was maybe meaningful, but I hope that people don't think that, well, we did it, we're here, we're done. Because that's also not the case. Lee says that she's teen black women, but adds that it's more than just what it sounds like. For too long, she says, there's been the idea that people, and black women in particular, have to do the work alone. And it's a fundamental flaw in our politics. The reality is that this moment is being propelled by Black women having the same, the energy of Black women being met by young folks. 
by folks on the outside pushing this movement by progressives all over the country who are demanding more, who are organizing for more, and who are using electoral politics as, as, a, as a tip of the spear there, right? And that is where, you know, these black women who have a clarity, a moral clarity, who have an urgency, who have a, a, a boldness, are also playing our part in it. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a moment, but honestly, it is a very tenuous moment. I think people really underestimate how easy it is for us to backslide. How easy it is for us to backslide, obviously, our democracy as a whole, but just, you know, a small level, the gains that we've made in getting black women, getting progressives, getting even young folks into office. When I think about just the barriers that it took, how hard it is for us to get into this place, people see the end result. But even when black women fall short, Lee said, there's still a sense of triumph, such as the work of Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Many credit Abrams for Joe Biden's 2020 presidential win. Her efforts saw black voters turn out in droves, turning the peach state purple for the first time in decades. And though she lost her bid for the governor's mansion in 2022, she continued her work for the Georgia Senate runoff, helping elect Raphael Warnock and maintaining the Democrats' majority. She was able to bring about a movement that has ripple effects, that helped uh, Reverend Warnock, right? We see the end result and we think and we forget how very hard and how very toxic it is. Just how many just systemic institutional barriers, how many microaggressions, right? How many insults and indignities that Black women had to you know, overcome to get to this space. I think that Americans are unable to grapple with the fact that our democracy, our democratic systems, our election systems are not, you know, that, that these systems can fail or that these systems can even be flawed. And I think that that's why we see such a slow reaction to our rapid descent into fascism, so like the rapid undermining of our democratic systems, because Americans have been convinced that our democratic system can't fail. There is no way that it can fail, but it is failing in real time. And because we don't really know how to deal with that, we don't really see it, we just have to imagine that that's not the problem. Today, Lee is working to pass legislation that builds an equitable and equal democracy. One of the biggest pieces of legislation she's thrown her support behind is the Equal Rights Amendment. Most recently, she joined a host of other top Black women lawmakers, notably Representatives Cori Bush and Ayanna Pressley, to help lead the Congressional Caucus on the Equal Rights Amendment. What is shocking is that our Constitution still does not include equal rights regardless of sex, meaning our Constitution still does not reflect or protect all people. To the right-wing politicians and judges waging a full-on assault on the rights of women and queer youth, we're not afraid. And we won't be silenced. Mm -hmm. We're organized and we're mobilized to make equal rights the law of the land. Because every woman, girl, and femme, and trans person deserves leaders who will fight for them as hard as the activists, as the agitators, and as the organizers fighting for our rights back home. The ERA was introduced in Congress 100 years ago with the intent to be the 28th Amendment of the Constitution. If affirmed, it would add that equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States, or by any state, on account of sex. Today, 38 states have ratified the amendment, and 27 states have their own ERAs in their state constitutions. 
But the reason it hasn't been affirmed yet is because Congress set a deadline that 38 states needed to ratify the ERA by 1982. And it wasn't until 2020, under the leadership of then-state Senator Jennifer McClellan, that Virginia became the 38th state to ratify the amendment. The ERA caucus, of which Lee is part of, reintroduced the amendment this year. But in April, Senate Republicans blocked the ERA from passing. You, you expect to be discouraged. We understand how the filibuster works. But to see in real time women, Republican women, walking into the chamber and putting their thumb down, right, doing the no vote in just like such a callous, like nonchalant way. And then you think about the fact that it's like, what type of propaganda, what type of, you know, misinformation or whatever it is, has led you to believe that you and other women like you don't deserve equal rights? That's just how simple this is. We're not asking for reparations mm-hmm. yet, or at least not on that day, right? It wasn't, we weren't asking, even for climate justice, we weren't asking for money to go into anything. We were saying that equal protection under the law should be enshrined in the Constitution for women, queer and trans people, and that um, everybody has, should have equal rights. That's it. That should be gender equality. That's it. What is controversial about that? I think the biggest problem, I think sometimes we as Democrats equivocate too much. When we say, well, maybe we should package it differently. Maybe, um, well, I, I know we want to get this thing done, well, maybe we should just put a different face to it. And that will help, you know, smooth over for our Republican counterparts. And I'm like, no, I think that the reaction right now has to be that we lean in harder and that we say unequivocally that we will not abandon our sisters uh, who are black and brown and indigenous. We will not abandon our queer and trans uh, folks and that they are best situated to advocate for themselves and that on their behalf, we will demand that our counterparts on uh, on the other other end of the political spectrum will, will respect them. And we won't then legitimize them when they don't. Still, Lee plans to keep pushing for progressive policies. Though it can be exhausting, she says, especially being part of institutions that weren't always welcoming to people who look like her, and in fact, only within the last 50 years or so have begun to acknowledge her ancestors' humanity, she says the movement she's part of will never run out of a collective energy. My passion comes from my perspective and my experience. It comes from knowing my history. It comes from knowing whose shoulders I stand on, um, knowing whose legacy I'm carrying on. I take great, great pride in not just the struggle, but the triumph of my people. I'm not one of those people who uh, believes that there is some shame in my people's struggle. I believe that there's so much dignity, so much pride, so much worth protecting and fighting for. There's such a a, a history of our, our resistance, not just liberating us, but our resistance liberating all folks, we recognize that that's tied together. For me, the movement is the continual push towards justice and liberation. I think that there are many intersecting pieces to that. People are taking different roads. Those are not different movements, they're different pieces of the larger movement. There are people who occupy multiple spaces within movement. Some people who are in your environmental justice spaces and your environmental racist spaces, they're moving us towards justice and liberation. People who are in the gender justice and equity space, people who are in a racial justice and equity space, our unions, our labor movement, our workers' rights movement, all of those are all going in the same direction. The movement isn't one action. It's not one piece of legislation that we're pushing for. It's not one decade. The movement is continuous. It is continuous. The movement isn't just 
in the United States. It's not just a movement of the South or the North. It's a movement of the world. Uh, the movement to end apartheid in South Africa was a part of the movement of civil rights in the United States. It's a part of the movement everywhere where we see oppressed and marginalized people. Um, and I am passionate about it because finding those human connections, that human drive to protect each other and to stand in solidarity with each other and not to oppose each other is, I think, Energizing and encouraging, and all of that. I'm your host, Cheyenne Daniels, race and politics reporter for The Hill. And from everyone at The Hill, thank you for listening to this episode of The Switch Up. We'll have more episodes coming soon, so be sure to follow us at thehill.com or on Twitter and Instagram at the. H-I-L-L for future updates, including episode drops and articles. This episode of The Switch Up was edited and produced by Christian Carter with help from Julie Slattery, Lisa Williams, and Cynthia Rye. We also would like to send a special thanks to Amelia Rowland and Philip Bennett from Representative Summer Lee's office.